Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. How awesome is that? I feel like a stinking warrior up here right now. <laughs> That's right. Woo! All right. Well, we are in a battles series. We are excited about this battles series. And honestly, this, this series is deeply personal to me. And I hope that it will be deeply personal to you. Every single one of us go through battles. I don't care who you are. From the time you're born till the time you die, you probably go through battles. And you might call them something else, struggles, issues, drama, whatever it is, but you go through it. Battles of the mind, battles of the soul, battles with God, battles with family, battles with sin and addiction and gossip and rumors and poverty and abuse, and the list goes on, right? We all struggle and battle through life. And as we go throughout our scripture and our sermon today, I want you to hold a picture in your mind. And it's a picture of a child, a kid who has never heard the word no. Y'all know that kid? Yeah. <laughs> we probably all know. One of those kids, a kid that has never heard the word no, has no limitations on his life, not money, not time, not love, none of that. He's been handed everything, no discipline whatsoever. Do you want to be around that kid? Does anybody want to be around that kid? I, I believe the official clinical term is spoiled rotten brat. Right? That's the technical term. Spoiled rotten brats are entitled and selfish, and they think the world revolves around them. Now hold that picture in your brain. Because I think that although we know we shouldn't be that person, we, don't, we shouldn't have that attitude, secretly we all kind of want to be that kid. <laughs> We'd like for life to be easy. We'd like for things to be handed to us. We'd like for God to smooth out our path and just sail through life. No problems, no struggles. We dream about winning the lottery someday and all of our problems just magically disappearing. We dream about the love of our life just waltzing through the door and sweeping us off our feet and doting over every little thing that we say and think and do. We wish for, for the, a time in our lives that people would just see our potential and put us in charge of, like, a, a company or something. Because we should be discovered for our potential and recognized for what we can do, even without the education and the experience, perhaps. We dream about these things just handed to us. And we fail to remember the spoiled, rotten brat that nobody wants to be around. It's not a help to anyone else in life. And I'm starting to understand that God doesn't allow us to walk through battles because he hates us, <laughs> because we've done lots of wrong things, or, or even just to teach us these trite little mother goose fairy tale sayings and morals in life, right? He lets us go through battles in our life to develop who we are and to help us recognize who he is. The world wants to tell you you need to know who you are. You need to discover who you are. You do you, and you get to know you, and don't let anyone else tell you how to be you. And there's some truth in that, surely, but the, it's not 
the full story. It's not the full revelation of what God wants for you because the vast majority majority of it is actually who he is. And it far outweighs who you are. They're both a piece of the picture. But it's much, much more about who he is. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people, they go through a lot of battles. You don't have to read very far into First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel to see all of the battles the people of Israel go through. Battle after battle after battle after battle. People rise up against them, and sometimes God's people win, and sometimes they lose. In fact, they lose a lot. You don't have to read very far into any of these books to see a loss epic losses sometimes. But today, we're actually going to read about a battle that they won. And I want you to know that ending going into this. The story, this story in 2 Chronicles 20, is about how God's people won epically. They didn't lose one life. All the odds were against them, and yet they did the impossible. God won the battle for them. And, And there are some hints in here about how we can win, too. So, Second Chronicles 20. Now, I want you to know this is a long story. There's lots of complicated names and places and all those things, and I'm going to sort of breeze through that. I know it's going to be kind of a struggle for the person running the screen in the back. I'm sorry ahead of time. Try to bear with me and listen to the story as we go, okay? First one sets us up for the story. Now, the, the people of Israel were sort of split into two nations at this point in their story, Judah, and Israel. And the king of Judah is named Jehoshaphat. He was a pretty good king. He followed God to the best of his ability. He set up these programs where he'd have himself and priests go around and educate the people in the country. He was a pretty good guy. There were a couple bumps in his story along the way, but overall he was a good, godly king. And so one day a messenger comes and he says, look, a vast army is mounting up against us. In fact, it's three armies, three separate nations, separate people groups have joined together and are marching against us. And they're close, by the way. (laughs) So a messenger comes and says, there is an enemy coming. Oh, and yeah, they're close too. Verse three, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. And begged the Lord for guidance. Verse, well, the first verse we're reading today, verse 3. But right off the bat, he does something right here. Did you see it? He's terrified. He begs the Lord for help. Terrified, begs the Lord for help. There's no in between that sentence. He doesn't first go to all the advisors in the land. He doesn't even call on the prophets. He goes straight to the Lord and begs for guidance. Not gathering all his commanders and generals and and asking them, can we take them? He knew, in fact, they couldn't take them. There was three armies against their one. There was no chance, no shot. I'm going to the Lord. Is that your first thought when you come up against the battle? Because I'm a little ashamed to admit it's not always mine. I... I'm confronted with an enemy that's obviously going to destroy my life. And I go to the people around me. I hide under my blankets and cry. (laughs) I distract myself with a four-day Netflix binge. I, I 
I go elsewhere, do things I shouldn't. Jehoshaphat, right off the bat, terrified, and he begs the Lord for guidance. And he goes a step further, and he orders everyone in Judah to begin fasting. This is not a king that pretends to be more than he is. In fact, he knows he's not the deliverer in this case because there is no chance his armies are going to be able to handle it. So he's just straight up with his country, his people. Guys, we need to get together and we need to fast right now. We need to pray right now. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Now he gets up, Jehoshaphat gets up before the entire community. And he prays, oh, Lord, God of our ancestors. Listen to this language he uses here, the way that he says what he says. Oh, Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Not one word so far about the enemy that's coming, by the way. Just about God. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us. And rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they've come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance, right? Because it's God's land, not ours. He gave it. He gets to be the giver of it because he created it. You gave us this land as an inheritance. Oh, God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. See how many things he does right here. He acknowledges that he has a very big problem, but he also has a very big God. He knows when he's terrified exactly who to go to and what to tell everybody to do. And it's not to go sharpen your swords because right now what's more important is that you fast and you pray and you ask God to come deliver us. There'll be time for sharpening swords later. This is not that time. Fast and pray. Don't go distract yourself. Don't go asking everybody else. We're going to ask the Lord First, now, I don't know about you, but when I read through these battles and struggles and issues throughout the Bible, sometimes I get a little snarky with God, perhaps, and I'm, I say, God, if you were going to deliver them anyway, right, we know the end of this story, they won this battle supernaturally, even though it was three on one, they won, and didn't lose a man, by the way, so if you're gonna, if you were gonna do that, why allow the enemy to get that close? Why allow the terror in the nation? Why, why did they have to get scared and come together and fast and pray? Why not just wipe them out before they even knew what was coming, right? And I ask this in my own life, too. Why do, oh, God, why? 
why me? Why do I have to go through this? And I don't know the end of my story, so I don't know if I win. And I'm terrified, too. Why do I have to go through all the things that I'm going through? Why can't you just fix it without me? But remember that picture I asked you to remember, the spoiled, rotten brat, the kid who's handed everything in life, the kid who never has to go through discipline or be told no, the kid who's not helpful to anyone. I don't want to be that kid, and yet if God hands me everything, that's exactly who I'm going to turn into. And that not realize who I am and who he is. I'm going to start to think the world does actually revolve around me. Everybody's here to serve me, take care of me. That's not the purpose of life, is it? We're to be the solution to our world, to be useful in God's hands. If we never go through conflict, what good are we? We haven't learned anything in life. You know that the Best learned lessons are, are the hardest learned lessons. Pain is a really good teacher. <laughs> we learn things through every single one of those battles. Now, I don't want to be that kid, spoiled, rotten brat, stomping my feet at God all the time. I want to participate with him, learn what I'm supposed to be learning in the battle that I'm in so that I can win in the next one. And, and I realize we need battle seasons sometimes. We need the night seasons sometimes. You know that midnight moment where you're crying out to God in pain or in agony or whatever it is. We need those seasons sometimes because they help us appreciate the day. We wouldn't understand the purpose of the daytime, the, the blessing that the sun is in our lives if we didn't have a little night. And the night is actually meant to be productive. We don't feel like it is because it's downtime, it's rest, it's sleeping. We're not getting anything done, but we need that downtime, rest, and sleeping to get things done tomorrow, to take care of ourselves, to plan well, rest well. And I think Jehoshaphat, although he couldn't see how this was going to turn out, he decided he was going to set the tone to use this battle, this night season, the scary season, set the tone of his heart, and therefore set the tone for the nation, for his people. He's going to take his position, position himself, not in his own power and strength, but in God's power and strength. And, and the nation had to get behind him on that. So he prays this bold prayer. He worships God and reminds himself who God is. He's powerful and mighty. And as he finishes that prayer, and all the men of Judah stood there with their wives and their little ones, their children. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. And by the way, it doesn't seem to be a particularly important man. Not a royal or a priest or somebody with authority. It names him Jehaziel, but he's the son of lots of people. But it, he's a Levite, but we don't know anything else about him. I think it's so cool that the Spirit of God falls on us normal people too, right? And speaks through us powerfully. I think Jehaziel was just a guy who was willing to listen. Had his ears open a little bit. And so he says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. Speaks to the king that way through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. 
It is not a suggestion. It's a command. Do not be afraid. You don't have any other option. Don't do it. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the valley, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Take your positions and stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. He says it again as a command, not a suggestion. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. A king in front of his people bows low with his face to the ground. It's a a huge statement to his people. He is submissive. Their king, the guy in charge of everyone, the guy with all of the authority, all of it, is submitting his authority to the power with even more authority, with all the authority. He is a king, but God is the king. Jehoshaphat is publicly declaring that, and it's a rare thing, actually, in that day and age, as it would be in this, because there were other gods, lots of them. He chose to bow himself low before the God in front of all his people, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will be able to succeed. You don't have to wonder If in this particular moment, Jehoshaphat was a little bit panicked, just a little. (laughs) He's been so strong up until this point. He's done all the right things. He's taken his position. He's squared his shoulders. He's given the worship and the praise to God, set his heart on who God is. But in this moment, he panics just a little. And I wonder that because I know my own soul the human soul, and I know that it's easy to declare who God is in the temple. It's not so easy when you're out there outside the walls of your protected little city and you're facing the enemy. It's a lot harder then, actually. And so you see him turn around and once again declare who God is. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Listen, worship isn't necessarily all of this stuff, the pretty guitars, the awesome musicians, the lights, the creative stuff that we put into this. This is good and we're blessed, right? We get to worship God with everything that we have and be creative with it, have fun with it. He delights in that, but that's not all that worship is. Worship is declaring who God is. Not necessarily what he's done for you or the things in the past. We're going to get there in a minute. Worship is different than praise and thanksgiving. It is markedly different for a reason. Worship is just about him. God loves me. That's praise, maybe thanksgiving, because God is love. 
That's who he is. That's worship. God is love. And so, of course, he's going to love me. And that's what worship does. It changes your perspective to get focused on him. And it makes everything else make sense. This is why I get up when I get to open worship services and I declare who God is, not thanking him for what he's done for me, not um, focus on my struggles and my issues in life. I focus on him. And I try to set all of our hearts collectively on him. You've probably heard me say a hundred times, you are the provider, you are the deliverer, you are the comforter, you are the healer. Those are the names of God. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And these are actually in your sermon notes if you want to look on the app. Jehovah Jireh is a name of God, and it means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. He is the provider. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner, our deliverer. That is, he's the flag we follow into battle because he is victory. He delivers us from our enemies. He is our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord sends peace. He is the comforter. He sends peace. Jehovah Rapha. The God who heals. He is the healer. Of course he wants to heal me. He is the healer. That's who he is. It's a, it's a characteristic of his nature. Couldn't change it if he wanted to. It's who he is. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is the way. My shepherd, a light unto my path. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. The truth. The goodness. He's the righteousness. Jehovah Shama, the Lord is our light, ever present. He's always there, shining a light for us to live in the way, the truth, and the life. Jehoshaphat does this. He says, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of the kingdoms of earth. You are powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. He's taking his position, finding his self worth self-identity and who he is not in the power and might of his own army not in his riches and his title and authority not the crown on his head but who he is your heart position is actually much more important than your physical position so his physical position the the place that he's at in life is that his army is one-third of their army that's the physical position. They have one-third of the swords, one-third of the boots on the ground, right? They are not going to win this thing. There's no shot. And yet, we know the God who provides the delivery. We know Jehovah Nissi. He is our God. He is our banner, our flag. That's who we're fighting, following into battle. Not our own flag heart posture. He's taking his position. Isaiah 9, 6 says, God is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. This is worship. It's an important part of taking your position, remembering who God is, declaring out loud who God is, not because he needs reminded. He doesn't. We do. God doesn't forget who he is. We do. We need to remember and remind ourselves constantly and for the people around us sometimes, as Jehoshaphat does here. He also goes on to remind God of his promises and his past victories, and this is where praise and thanksgiving come in. 
right? Oh, our God, did you not drive out those enemies before? And did you not give this land to us forever? Your people settled here to build this temple to honor your name. And whenever we are faced with calamity, such as war, plague, famine, we come to you and we stand in your presence and your name is honored. We cry out to you to save us and you hear us and you rescue us. You've done it time and time again. Do you see what he's doing? Reminding himself from the past. This is why Thanksgiving is so important. Keep a thankful journal, all the things you are thankful of, because you can look back on that when you're going through the next battle. And remember, God did that for me in the past. Why wouldn't he do it today? God did it for his people throughout the ages. Why wouldn't he do it for me today? I'm his child just as much as they were. I can claim his promises in my life. I am not a victim. I'm an overcomer. Enemies come against me, but I have a God who's bigger than that. It doesn't matter. However, Jehoshaphat does another thing right here. In taking his position, he acknowledged his own helplessness. Verse 12 says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. It's not in our own strength that we're going to fight these battles. It's not in our own power that we're going to win. We can boast in his power alone because we have none. We are powerless against the mighty armies that come to attack us. 2 Corinthians 12 says, each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Remember the last time you took delight in your troubles? Because I don't. I do a lot of whining and not a lot of thanking God. But when I am weak, then I am strong, he says. When I am weak, then I am strong because he is strong in me. It's not my own power, my own strength, my own wisdom, my own money, my own job, my own health. It is because he gives it to me. In fact, your miracle is never going to be in in what you lost or what you thought you should have by now. It's actually usually in what you lack or or what you're afraid of losing. The miracle is always in what's left. (laughs) The thing you think shouldn't be enough. That's exactly what God uses to deliver you. Jehoshaphat didn't have a big enough army. He didn't need one because he had a big enough God. You might not have a big enough bank account. You don't need one because you have a big enough God. You might not have a smart enough doctor. You don't need one. You have a smart enough God. We know who he is. Therefore, we know who we are. Jehoshaphat knew this. Job knew this too. Remember Job's story? The guy who literally lost everything. (laughs) Lost his family, his riches, his property, his animals, his health even. Everything. And even his friends turned against him in the end. He's literally sitting in ashes, disease. And he says, listen, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. He's not complaining. He's acknowledging reality. 
this is what happened. I didn't earn the things that I had. I didn't work hard for the things that I have, and so I got them. God gave them to me. And if he chose to take them away, praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord when I'm sick and when I'm healthy. Praise the name of the Lord when I'm broken and when I'm rich. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. That's our weapon in battle, in fact. That's what provides the victory. Job ended up with double everything he had or more. He had more property than he had before, more animals than he had before, more family than he had before, more health than he had before, more dollars in his bank account than he had before. Because in the night season, in the battle season, he honored the name of the Lord. This is taking your position. It's not a physical position. It's a heart position. It's a heart posture. Jehoshaphat chose to put his worship in God, to put his focus on God. He chose to thank him for the victories of the past. He chose to acknowledge his own helplessness and weakness and boast in God's strength and power. And he chose to not be afraid and to march, to obey, and to get up early the next morning, go out into the wilderness with his army, and step up and say, listen to me. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will be able to succeed. Now, I have to wonder if he said these things, because that panic was creeping in a little bit. I know this because of my own human nature. Easy to be victorious in the temple, but it's a lot harder out there. And so as he's walking out in faith, stepping out, knowing all the guys behind him with the swords and knowing that they have families and wives at home, understanding that he's asking them to do an impossible thing, certain death lies ahead, if not for God. So he gets up and he gives them another pep talk, right? This is choosing not to be afraid. He could have chosen that moment to panic or to say nothing and allow the panic. Instead, he spoke faith and life and God into that moment. And he goes on to actually appoint singers as well. He took an offensive stance already victorious. Second Corinthians 4 says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So our situation is we're hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Anybody else in that situation right now feels bad. That's the situation. And yet, the revelation is that we are not crushed, not in despair, not abandoned, and not destroyed. That's the reality with God. The revelation of what we can cling to in those night seasons. You know, there's this story, if you go back just a couple of chapters, 2 Chronicles 15. And it's one of the fathers, maybe grandfather of Jehoshaphat, and he's another king of Judah, and he goes out to this battle. And one of the guys stands up in the middle of a battle, and he says, listen, listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. 
He doesn't mean physically. He means in his heart, in your heart. Stay with him. Keep your faith steadily planted in him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. If you feel distant from God lately, he didn't go anywhere. He's right there waiting for you to come back. You got your eyes off of him somewhere. Get him back on him. And he'll provide the victory. Take your position, your heart position, not a physical position. And so, because I'm imagining Jehoshaphat probably feeling the pressure. He's the leader in the situation. He's stepping out, facing the enemy, warriors behind him, and yet it, it feels bad, panicky, anxious, scary. And so after consulting the people, the Lord, the king, sorry, appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, at the very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. They weren't even there. They weren't even in their presence. The Lord worked ahead of them because they started singing. And I think Jehoshaphat looked around and he said, I'm feeling panicked. They might be feeling panicked. We're walking towards certain death. And so, okay, you, 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 and you. Get up there in front of the army and start singing. We need a little battle cry right now. We need to start declaring who God is to remind ourselves. And we're going to sing this over and over and over until it gets deep down in our souls because this is our declaration, our position. It's not in our own strength and power. It's not in our own swords hanging at our, at our sides. It's in him and him alone. And so we're going to give thanks to the Lord. Because his faithful love endures forever. Up until this moment, Jehoshaphat had done this pretty much on his own. He had declared who God is. And he had worshipped in front of his people. And he had bowed down low before him and submitted himself in front of his people. And he had given thanks and remembered the past. Woke up early and assembled the army. But in this moment, he needed others to go in front of him. And sing. Sing the victory. They sang in the face of a mighty army, eager to destroy them. They sang in the face of seasoned warriors, hearts set on plunder and destruction and death. They sang, even though reality did not yet match God's word. Their march could have easily been a, a trail of tears, a funeral march to their deaths. But because they trusted the Lord, it was a march of victory. They sang, and God responded. They sang themselves into the valley of blessing that they call it later. You know, we see this throughout the Psalms. David and others wrote amazing songs of praise and worship, and those songs were not written in palaces. They were written in the caves, written in the battles, written in the, the night seasons before the battles when the panic feels like it's going to crush us when the walls are closing in, right? When the enemy's getting close, that's when these psalms are written. Every single one of them is a declaration of the victory that's yet to come. The victory 
that's yet to come. Psalm 108 says, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart, his heart position is confident in God. Not because of the lack of security, the, the, the lack of evil, but because there is evil in the world, and yet my heart is confident in you. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Wake up, lyre and harp. Wake up, instruments. Wake up and sing. I, I joked last service that I'm going to start saying that to the band when I tell them to come. Wake up, guitarist and bassist. Get up here. Wake up, lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations for your unfailing love is higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Now rescue your beloved people. Answer and save us by your power. David wrote that in a cave. <laughs> in the depths of despair. And it didn't look good. And he needed rescue. His heart was confident in God. He chose to not be afraid, but to wake the dawn with his song. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, Psalm 23 says. Not because there is an evil to be had. There is. I'm choosing to not fear it. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In the valley of the shadow of death, I, I don't yet see the light. It's easy to forget that I'm a child of God, that, that I'm not a victim, but I choose to instruct my heart to sing. Sing in the face of my enemies. Sing in the face of my oppressors. Sing in the face of injustice and rumors and abuse and insults. I choose to sing. And not only to sing, but to wake the dawn with my song. Instead of going to bed at night, down in the dumps, ready to quit life and just hoping somehow magically it's going to be better in the morning, I'm going to Go to bed tonight saying, my sun sets to rise again. I'm going to use this time, this night time, to rest and prepare for the morning. That dawn isn't going to know what hit it. I'm not flailing around in the dark anymore. I have the light. The Lord, the word of the Lord is like a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I know who I am and whose I am. I'm a daughter of the king, the king, not a King, go ahead, enemy. Come at me, bro. Right? Uh, because if the Lord is for me, who can be against me? Verse 23, the armies, Moab and Ammon, armies one and two, turned against their allies from army number three and killed every one of them. At the very moment they sang, the enemy turned against itself. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. Now armies one and two are attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground. As far as the eye could see, not one of the enemy had escaped. And by the way, not one of God's people had to die. King Jehoshaphat sent his men out to gather the plunder. It took three days to gather it all, and they named that place the Valley of Blessing, which I think is a pretty good name. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps 
and lyres and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. We forget sometimes why the battles exist. Because in the middle of the night, the night, it's really hard to see, to remember. In the middle of the battle, things are confusing and scary. They don't make sense. But there's victory on the other side. And God didn't send you into battle just to, to teach you a trait little saying you could learn in a Mother Goose novel. He sent you into battle to learn hard-learned lessons that are going to stick with you for a while, that are going to help you not be the, the spoiled, rotten brat that we want to be all of the time. I don't know about you, but I forget to thank God for the battle seasons, too. They're teaching me something. And I might be complaining, God, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you delivering me from this? But I know that God is a God of intentionality, and when he does something, he's doing something. But also when he doesn't do something, he's doing something. He's working on my behalf, even if it feels like he's not working on my behalf. That army had to march toward that clearing that valley, the lookout point, not knowing what was going on. They didn't know when they sang, God worked. They had to trust that when they sang, God worked. God didn't bring them through that battle, by the way, just to get them through that battle. He, bring them, he brought them through that battle to give them peace with all the other nations on every side. Rest on every side. The battle wasn't just about those particular nations. That battle was about all the nations to give them rest on every side. And instead of saying, why God, why me, the whole way to marching to what they think could be certain death, they praised God, instructed their heart. They took their positions. They refused to be afraid set up systems in their life to not be afraid. They appointed the singers and they declared who God is because the Lord is with you. And I want to go back to verse 17 for a second. This is actually the home group assignment for this week. If you look in sermon notes on your app, memorize this verse. But you will not need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, believer. The Lord is with you, warrior. He will fight your battles for you if you let him. If you participate with him, Zechariah, it says, not by my might nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? The fear of the Lord came over those surrounding nations, not by their own might and power, but because they were weak, and yet God made them strong. What are you weak in? What are you not trusting God with right now? That you could be giving to him and seeing a much, much bigger victory than you could ever accomplish on yourself. Listen, sometimes in my experience... God doesn't deliver me. He doesn't protect me from every battle. He doesn't always go ahead of me. Sometimes he allows the enemy to get close. Sometimes people have to fight 
sometimes they die, right? Sometimes the battles aren't always won, and the worship team can go ahead and come. But in this case, in this case, Jehoshaphat led them in worship, setting their hearts in who God is. He led them in praise and thanksgiving, reminding them of what came before. He submitted himself knowing that he is weak, but God is strong. He is powerless, but he knows the God of power. He's helpless, but he knows the helper, the provider, and the deliverer. In this case, it seems they took their positions. They refused to be afraid. And the Lord was with them. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. Take your positions, warriors. Do not be afraid. The Lord, your God, is with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Last service during Candace's message, I, I was reminded of a moment in my childhood. I was at a tournament, like novice wrestling, like I was a little kid and, and I, I won a match in like like 15 seconds, like boom, won the match. My dad, he's running a little late. I was so excited to tell him about my victory and I, I ran up to him and I said, I pinned him in 10 seconds. And my dad just goes, <sighs> walks away disappointed. And I can remember to this day that the kind of frustration I had that my dad was upset that I didn't have a harder match, that it wasn't tougher for me, that I didn't endure some pain because wrestling's painful. And on the way home after the tournament, after just steamrolling all the kids in my bracket, no challenge, not hard, I went, why are you so upset? I just, I just won. Didn't you just want me to win and it'd be easy because I'm so tough and strong? And he went, without any pain, you won't get any stronger. If there's no challenge, you can't become a champion. I want you to improve and grow, but it takes some fight. And I was just, I was too young, I didn't get it, I was just frustrated. And I'm like, why would my father want me to face pain? Why would he want it to be hard? But God gave me a good father, and he is a good father. Armchair Christianity says, once a week, worship and leave. It'll be easy. But our good father says something else. He says, carry your cross daily. He says that you have to be willing to endure scorn and shame and pain and persecution. He says, if you want victory, it's only in one name. And it requires you to pick up that name daily. If you want to win, if you want to endure, if you want to persevere, then there is a challenge ahead of you. There's endurance ahead of you. And there's only one name through which you can be saved. My 
He runs out of the tent and he sees them, panics, freaks out, runs back to the tent, says, Elisha, Elisha, there's an army outside ready to kill us. And Elisha doesn't freak out. He looks back at him and he says, yeah, but we have more on our side than they have on their side. And the servant's like, uh, I don't know if you've looked around lately, but we're a prophet company. I don't know what they were. We don't have an army. We don't have warriors, no chariots. What are you talking about? And Elisha says, Lord, open up his eyes to see. And the servant looks up on the hill, eyes now spiritually open. And he sees chariots of fire, an army of the Lord on the hill. More on our side than are on their side. It doesn't matter what you're seeing in the physical. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. 
in your life, the battles and the struggles and the enemy that come against you, there's more on your side than on theirs. You're a child of God. You're not a victim in this world. You don't get to walk through head hung down in shame and guilt anymore. You are a child of God. Walk in it in victory. You get to win in the end. Father, with our heads bowed to you in submission, eyes closed, straining to hear you, Father, speak to us. Whisper into our souls our identities, who we are in you. Help us understand who you are so we can understand who we are. Father, I speak boldness into this church, authority into this church. I cast out anxiety and fear in Jesus' name. It has no place here. We're going to walk in victory, boldness, and power knowing that you fight our battles for us. When we worship, we submit ourselves to you. When we praise and thank you for everything you've done in the past, when we sing in the face of adversity, in the face of the enemy that's marching against us, when we sing in certain death, in the face of it, you work on our behalf. Let us walk in that confidence, God. Heads bowed and eyes so closed. If you're saying, you know what, I don't know who I am in God because I've never given my life to Jesus, but I want to today. Maybe for the first time, maybe the first time in a long time, but you want to say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I ask you in to my soul. You come and cover all of my weaknesses, all of the places that I don't measure up. Stand for me when I face God someday. You know what? It's so easy. You say, Father, I believe you sent your son to die for me. I accept his forgiveness in my life, and I choose to live for you from today forward. Amen. And it's that easy. If there's anybody here today who would like to give their heart to Jesus for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hands right now? Nice and high. Awesome. This one over here. Keep that hand raised. The ushers team would like to give you a little piece of paper with some instructions on it about the I'm in table and some stuff we want to give you because of that. Back there, I think. Awesome. Praise God. Now, if there's anybody here doesn't feel like a warrior today, I know that feeling well. I know the fear that creeps in, that wants to destroy, that brings the walls in to the point where they're crushing you. You're a warrior. You're going to win. You got to choose to take your position. Arm yourself with the word of God. Worship him in the night seasons. Thank him for what he's done in the past. Take your position, warrior. Refuse to be afraid because the Lord is with you. If you're saying today, I want to commit myself to seeing myself as a warrior, I haven't before. Would you just raise your hand? Commit to God. I am a warrior. I'm a warrior. Amen.
Father, we thank you once again for this word. Thank you for this series. Thank you that you are breathing life and boldness and authority into our church. Help us to walk in it. To come into your temple, your place of worship, and give you all the praise and to go out praising and being a solution to our world. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Are you ready? Are you ready, warriors? You're going to go out. Be God's solution to the world. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock for prayer and worship. We're going to do more battle together. See you all next week.